So we are going to transition to a time of uh, question and answer. In fact, John, do you have that microphone? Yeah. So John is going to be roaming around here with the microphone. What we're going to do is I'm going to ask you, as mentioned, we're going to, this is going to be recorded so that other people can access this. Um, So, but if if you get too intense and too crazy, we'll just have to have Harold edit it down. So, but, um, so what I'd like to do is, is that you're welcome to ask any questions about what we've covered tonight, where we're at as a church, and want to make sure that we have clarity about where, where we're going and what God's doing. Again, this is compass. This is not roadmap. So we don't have all the details figured out, but we're, we're following the direction that God is leading in. And so um, I'm going to ask you, if you have a question, you just raise your hand. John will come find you. And then if you would, so you just state your name. And so we know who you are, even if you think everybody in the room knows who you are. Uh, and then you can go ahead and ask your question. So... Who would like to be the first to uh, ask a question tonight? So, all right, John. John came up to me and said I had to start things off. So, uh, <laughs> I just went ahead and did it. And um, you know, Pastor John, I'm so glad that you uh, started off with the talking about the cost of the actual structure. Mm. And so, you know, finance guy, that's always you know <laughs> near and dear to my heart. Mm. And uh, Wow, I'm so 100% behind you, hmm. and I appreciate that. And so you mentioned that the cost of the structure right now is about 30000 a month. Mm-hmm. And I'm wondering, what's our goal for the new one? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, obviously, yeah. if it were, you know, 25000 a month, I mean, that's 5000 a savings. That's huge. I mean, think of the things, the impact we could have on the yeah. community, et cetera. I'm just wondering if there's a, a goal or even a, yeah. a forecast for that. Ballpark is we're trying to cut it in half, ideally. We don't know if we'll be able to do that, but the current building that we're looking at for the amount of space that we'll be looking at will probably fall in the neighborhood of twelve dollars to $13,000 a month just for the lease payment. Um, the good thing is is that the, the Spanish congregation that meets on Sunday nights and uses the building other times will be coming with us, and actually they pay rent, which helps us offset some of the costs, which is great. So, but obviously the, the good thing is a building that is newer will have less maintenance up front, which is nice. So we're shooting to cut that down to probably close to fifteen to 16000 which would be ideal. Um, I don't know if we'll be able to do it in terms of what we're trying to negotiate, but that's what our target is. Um, so, because we're going to go into about 17,000 square feet, which is a little more than half. I mean, it's about half of what we have right now. So we're trying to cut those things down. Yeah. Let me add to that. And then if someone else has a question, so, so you understand. So, cause I know this question came up last night and I'll, I'll, I'll kind of answer it unless someone else is going to ask it. So the reason for all that is this. So ideally, and this is, this is my desire and I believe God's desire for the church. If we manage our money really well and we seek to not spend money on ourselves, except what we need to, to function as a church then the money that comes in we're able to save and to really invest in mission. Um, because ideally, what, what the church should, how the church should function in, in a perfect world is that if, and, I, and here my, when I say this, I've said this, I do not check giving records. I don't know if you give or how much you give. Okay, that is a conviction that I trust. If you're following Jesus, that you're going to obey him in that regard. But I go off national averages. So... If the church, not just New Hope, but if the church actually tithed, you would not believe how much resource we would have. If everybody who was a part of any local church actually tithed 10% of income, that's not including offerings on top of that, just tithed, 
we would never have to do a fundraiser. We would never have to raise money for a missions trip. We would never have to worry about the cost. We would have more than enough resource. Right now, the estimate is that overall, that in the churches across America, tithe is at about 3% instead of 10%. So there's 7% more, which is 70% more, that's not being given. That if that was, you can't imagine. Like, for example, the, with the Peru team that's, that's going, we're having a spaghetti dinner on Friday night. If we were fully funded in tithing, we wouldn't need a spaghetti dinner because we'd be able to say, okay, how much does the team need? $10,000? Okay, we've done well with our money. Let's invest $10,000 in the team so we can send them. Wouldn't that be amazing? That would be so cool to be able to do that and invest that money in resource that literally translates to disciples being made and people being reconciled back to God, both in Simi Valley and globally instead of sinking it into a building that is going to rust and destroy and be gone in, the, in eternity. That's, that's where we, I would love to get to. I'd love to get to that point so that we are spending less on us so that we can invest more in what God's doing in our community around the world. So, Wait, we have to get in. I know I did. Is, John's going to have to watch the hands to kind of make sure that we're in order. So, <laughs> Okay. Uh, Walter Wolf. Um, the comment I was going to make is that one thing you can be praying for is during the negotiations that the owners of the buildings, the building that we're looking at, yeah. that they would be open to considering and, and have favor as we Absolutely. go through this process. Because although we're skilled negotiators and John is really good at it, God, <laughs> God's way better at it. So, Yeah. And by the way, Wally is an elder and he's, he's helping kind of uh, partner with me and walking through the process in conjunction with the church council of negotiation. We've already had a couple meetings with the city to find out, you know, some of the things they're going to require up front. And that's why we're looking primarily by Costco because that's what, where they told us to look because it has a lot of parking that was usually, that's the biggest hurdle is having enough parking to have a, a church in that location. So, no, good. Other questions? I know in the back there's someone... Kathy Albers. <laughs> um, I was hoping in the near future, um, are we may hopefully looking at bringing back Saturday night services? Because I know uh, the, the closest one around town, I think, is um, Cornerstone Rocky has Peak one. Or, yeah. or something like that. Yeah, because a lot yeah. of churches have stopped mm -hmm. having Saturday night mm -hmm. service. So I was hoping in the future we could look at bringing it back. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, that's been brought up uh, periodically. Uh, Saturday night services are effective for, if, if as, to me, multiple services serve the purpose of space. So, for example, if somebody, um, if we grow too big and we're running multiple services on Sunday and we need another service and we need to think about having one another day, we would think about Saturday night. Saturday night as an alternative for people to attend church. I know some people work on Sunday. I know that's difficult. But the, the, it, on the practical side of things, um, Saturday night would be effective if it was a last resort. And the reason I ex say that is because I've been a part of Saturday nights. And what that does for the staff is that the staff will have to kill themselves to do church. Because what happens is that, like, for this, this week's a good example. So the normal day off for the staff is Friday, but there's multiple things going on this weekend. So the staff's not really even getting a day off this week. If we throw in a Saturday night, there will be weeks where the staff will work seven days a week. And that will be repetitive if things get thrown in on a day off. And so 
part of that process is if that's what we have to do and we're at a size when we need to do that, we would consider that. But for me, my personal conviction is I've chosen as a pastor not to do that because I, this, is, this may be a little selfish, I'm not going to do that to my kids. But if that's something that we needed to do and we needed to develop a completely different team that does that, that is different than Saturday or Sunday morning, we could do that. But right now, there's not necessarily a plan to do that because what it requires for the people who serve. And I know historically, this church has had two Saturday night services when it was at, at its height attendance-wise. And that's good, but I've also talked to people who were at all five or six services, and they've paid the price for it. And I, I don't, I don't want to do that to a place that we're, we're running people into the ground to do church, ultimately. Does that make sense? It's a good option, but it's, it's not something that necessarily is, is a, a first option. So, and I know some people have said Saturday night would be great, and I understand that. But, but that's the practical reality where we're at as far as a church goes. So, so sorry for your Saturday night, folks. I know. Cornerstone's got a great Saturday night. I know they're a little different than we are, but that's okay. We're not the only show in town. So, but, so think, did you just tell them to go to another church? Oh, my goodness. <laughs> Harold, maybe strike that, right? <laughs> okay. I says, uh, how come we don't have this one service on Sunday? They'll save until we move. They'll save electricity and you know air conditioning and all that, and just have one service there for eleven o'clock instead yeah. of nine yeah. and eleven. And, yeah. and it's better for you too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> actually, two services is not bad. Oh, so. it's not. No, I actually like suggestion. to preach better. Yeah, this is a suggestion. <laughs> yeah. So the reason that we don't, even though we have the space, the reason we don't have one service is that we've talked about this a little bit before is because it gives people the opportunity to serve in one service and attend another. Especially if you're working with kids and you're in one service. If we had one service, then you won't be able to have access to get into the service each Sunday. And so we want to make sure that people have the opportunity to do that. So, and, and honestly, it doesn't cost that much more for a few extra hours on a Sunday to be able to do this. So that's why we've kept it at two services. Yeah, and it makes it more accessible for people because some people, honestly, schedule-wise or with kids and things like that, 9 o'clock might be too early for them. 11 o'clock might be more appropriate for them. So that's why we keep it at 2, even though we have the space for 1. So. I'm Priscilla Hogan. And back in the early church when it was first starting and they would meet from house to house, mm-hmm. has it ever been done in modern history where we didn't meet in a big church? We just did house to house? Is or does a church succeed with that? Or? Yeah, there's, there's churches currently that are in that format that they do have weekend gatherings, but that's only to bring all of basically house churches or small groups together. So, in fact, Kim, you were part of one. Um, there's a lot of churches that really the, the primary focus is the midweek small group in somebody's home, and then they just happen to meet on Sunday mornings. Not like a Sunday morning we have. It's more like a family gathering of all the smaller churches getting together. Um, there's, uh, there's a church called um, Austin New Church in Austin, Texas that does that, and the action for them is in the small group, but they still have a Sunday gathering because they all come together. Yeah, it has been done. It's, it's a successful model. It's, it's actually a New Testament model because they would gather in the synagogue. In fact, when the church started, they didn't even, they, when they came to the temple, they didn't even get into the temple. They were in the outer courts. They were meeting on Solomon's Colonnade, which is like a porch. But that was their gathering point, but then they were house to house. So, yeah, it has been done before. But, see, that's part of the shift in our culture. And this is, I mentioned this last night, I'll mention this again. So in our culture right now, we have to understand things have changed so rapidly and so dramatically that right now statistics are pretty accurate to say that only 40% of the population are even favorable to attending church at all. 
So that means 60% of the culture is not favorable to walk into our doors on Sunday morning. It doesn't matter how good we do church or how spectacular it is or how great the speaker is. They're just not going to come to church because they have no need to. Because they don't have a concept for who God is. And that's the whole point. You come to church because ultimately you're following Jesus and you want to be with the community of believers. And so that, that, that's why a lot, of, a lot of places people would actually be more favorable to going to someone's living room than to walking into a church building. And that's part of the dialogue even our small group leaders. What happens if, as we're moving towards mission or small groups, what if somebody who doesn't know Jesus shows up? Oh, my goodness, what are we going to do? It's beautiful because what they get to see is not this. It's one guy standing up and talking and some really cool musicians doing some really great stuff. You get to see somebody sharing about how they're struggling in their marriage. You get to see people lay hands and pray for somebody who's sick. You get to see what really happened in the New Testament. And they get to see that firsthand without any filters. And that either freaks them out or gets them really interested in a hurry about something real and authentic that's going on there. So, yeah, it's being done. It's actually being done effectively more and more, believe it or not. So, other questions? Steve? Hello! <laughs> I'll whisper. <laughs> I am whispering. I'm Steve Schmidt. Uh, Pastor, is there any um, anything, or I guess you've gotten to know some of the pastors in Simi Valley, mm-hmm. and there's a lot of church buildings in Simi Valley, mm-hmm. and I think a lot of the people who attend church uh, throughout Simi Valley have some of the same common interests, mm-hmm. you know, like the addiction problem and, mm-hmm. and some other things. Is there anything that you see in the future with us working with other churches to yeah. penetrate the community. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's some cool things like the Samaritan Center where mm-hmm. different churches go and do things. There's the, the men's softball league. There's recovery groups. And then the other question is, uh, do we have anything in the future of a midweek service that would be more geared towards prayer or more, more something mm-hmm. different than Sunday church where the mm-hmm. message is given, just something during uh, another time during the week? Mm-hmm. Good question. So you had two questions. First one. Um, so I've been here for, you know, nine months now and experiencing what's happening with the pastors in Simi Valley is actually pretty cool. Today I was at lunch at Paul Weir, who's the pastor of Simi Community. He opened his home for the pastors to come lunch together. No agenda, just hang out and have, have lunch together. Um, obviously there's pastors that gather every once and we pray, pray together, which is great, but there's more of a building partnership right now. Um, one of those things, obviously you said Samaritan Center, a lot of churches overlap in that area. But one of the intentional ways is that uh, we actually had a meeting with the mayor about three or four months ago with um, the organization called Not One More, you know, that's dealing with the addiction issue in our city. And so they've welcomed the churches to participate. And, uh, and so actually last night at the city council meeting, a number of pastors, were there. I, obviously I didn't get to go, I was here, but there's a, an ongoing partnership that they're welcoming. In fact, the schools have said, Youth pastors, you're welcome to come on campus. Just go through the proper protocol of filling out paperwork, but you're welcome to come on campus. That's huge. And that's because I think there was a dozen pastors that were able to show up last night, uh, which spoke volumes. So, yeah, there's more of a building consensus of just kind of figuring out, okay, God, how do we work together? It's beautiful. I'm excited about what that looks like. So part of that is what happened today. Having, as a pastor, just for pastors to sit in the same room and have lunch together is like huge. It's huge. You know, because we get pretty insecure and territorial and like, what are you doing and how are you going to steal my sheep? And we just got to get over that. They're God's sheep. They're not ours. So, but it's beautiful. It's happening. So the second question uh, about a prayer gathering. So I can say yes to that because here's the thing, but not, not an ongoing midweek. 
Again, the church is a place where we come to encourage each other, to worship together, to be equipped, to be launched. So any prayer gathering or kind of gathering that we have would have that purpose. And in my mind, one of the things I've thought about is that we actually do need to gather to pray for primarily the world. We need to pray for our city, but we need to pray. And, you know, we do on Sunday morning, we pray, you know, in prayer groups. We have their prayer room, people praying for really that has more to do with us. But there's something that happens in us when we pray for not us. We pray for, like this Sunday, I intentionally, Tim Hess, when he was leading worship, he mentioned what happened in Washington, D.C., and he's, he mentioned what was ongoing in Nairobi, Kenya. Because those things are dear to God's heart. And although they're on the other side of the world, we need to be praying for those things. But there's a process when we pray for the world that God transforms us and changes us. And so one of the things that I have in my heart ultimately is to possibly have like a monthly prayer gathering that's extremely focused about what's going on in the world because what my desire is, no matter where I am pastoring, and that's the same here, is that I would love to see our church have such a heart for the world that we actually adopt an unreached people group. And we either send somebody or we fund or we partner so that someday we can stand in heaven and as members of New Hope, we can say that people group is here because we were willing to sacrifice and go and give and pray. I would love to see that. I mean, that would be the most amazing thing. But that comes through prayer. That comes through us getting outside ourselves and saying, okay, God, we want to intercede for the world that you love. So, yeah. So that's stuff that I know that's been kicking around here. I haven't processed through too many people about that, but good question. Yeah, because we do. We need to be praying for sure. Other questions? Hazel. Yes, so. I'm Hazel. And are we ever going to have an opportunity to do a night of worship? Just mm-hmm. straight music, just straight worship? We might. I don't know for sure. Yeah. Yeah. That if that's something that we want to do. Part of it, you might have noticed that worship is changing a little bit on Sunday morning. It's a little longer than it used to be. Um, in fact, this Sunday, we're not doing four songs. We're doing five. So we're really stretching the envelope, I know. So just so you know, because part of that is I want, that, that might, I'm not saying we wouldn't do that. I, we just don't have plans for it. But that's part of the context for Sunday, Sunday morning. So you're, I didn't say this last night, but you can get a little bit of a warning. Worship's going to be changing over the months ahead because normally we're, we're used to our format, which is four songs, somewhere we mix in the prayer room, and then we're done. If you notice, they're switching. This Sunday, you get the little inside scoop. We're going to do two songs, and then at the end, we're going to do three songs. And we're, you, there actually might be a, song, a Sunday that I, you walk in, and guess what? I'm standing up there, and I just start preaching. And then we do songs on the back end. Because we can't, we're, so, we're so in love with our format, or maybe we're just too comfortable with our format. But give more time for God to move during worship in our, in our hearts. So, but it's an extremely important thing. So we wanna, we're trying to make more room to do those things. And that's why we're trying to eliminate a lot of the you know, we have the four-on-ones and the connect cards and all those things, but that's just logistics. You know, we want to focus on what's more important. So we're trying to, as we plan services every week, we're trying to minimize that time and maximize the other times where we're really doing things that are a bit more spiritually minded. So, Okay, this side of the room has been pretty quiet over here, okay? <laughs> I've just got to say this. Okay, oh, thank you, Susie. All right, Susie. I appreciate that. Hi, I'm Susie Earhart. I was just... <laughs> You have a fan. That's cool. Always a fan. Um, As you were talking about missions, Mm -hmm. I was just wondering, and I know we're going to have, there's possibility, Samaritan Center and some Mm -hmm. of the local places that we can go to. Is there possibility of, um, like the Peru trip, of of other missions trips that Mm -hmm. our church is going to be able to initiate and participate? 
I'm going to lob that one to John Looney because he, he's. I was me. hoping you would. Yeah. <laughs> he's, Thank you. He, we've been talking about, yeah, an overall we, uh, yeah, process. John and I have been, uh, we've been dialoguing a lot about that very issue. And as we make the shift from, um, from being a church that focuses on gathering and, and coming to a church that focuses on going and being and discipling, we want to give the church opportunities uh, to, to step out in that. And so um, we've been talking about intentional on-ramps to mission, and that's kind of the terminology that we've been using. So some, uh, some opportunities that we're, we're looking at is maybe um, doing kind of different levels of missional, missional involvement. So level one could look like being involved in a small group, that that small group is doing mission locally uh, in some sort of an outreach or, or some, some way. That could be Samaritan Center or neighborhood barbecues or whatever that looks like. Uh, we, the next level would be um, doing like a one-day intensive at Dream Center uh, where you'd go down and serve um, the least of these in, in our local context in L.A., uh, another level of that might be we actually go down to Dream Center for a week and you get to participate in all of the ministries that they're doing. We're also right now um, setting up some relationships. I'm in conversation with um, our Foursquare denomination about missionaries that are in the Baja area. Uh, we're going to be taking teams down to Baja. That's a great kind of first cross-cultural um, experience for people. And then we're also, the, the most extreme level of that will be we want to continue our relationship that we've begun in Haiti. Uh, we've done some great work there, um, and, and we're continuing to do that. In fact, I just emailed Greg Barshaw today and said, you know, uh, we're, we're planning to do a team in 2014, but what are some ways that we as a church could be praying and even financially giving towards projects and things before we go? Um, so those are some great things. And in addition to those, you know, this church has historically had a great partnership with um, Johnny and Friends and Wheels for the World and going down to Peru, and, and that's something that will continue as well. Mm-hmm. So we want to create as many opportunities um, in, our, in our different spheres uh, to impact this world. Mm-hmm. So. And, and, and the reason being, I mean, I, John and I just talk about this, so, so excited about it. The ultimate outcome of discipleship is mission. That, that's, that's the, you see it in the book of Acts, that the, the result of the Holy Spirit coming in Acts chapter 2 and disciples really being disciples is that they suddenly became fully focused on mission. And that's what our desire is. is you know, we've, you've heard the term used missional or a missional church. That should be every church that is driven by the mission of Jesus in the world. And that means not just as programs but as individuals. And that's why, John, I've been talking about on-ramps to missions. For some people, the biggest leap might literally be going down to Dream Center for a day going into inner city Los Angeles. It may be going to Dream Center for a week. That's that. If you haven't done that, I've done that. That is an eye-opener. When you go down in inner city Los Angeles and you see things and you're thinking, really, in my country? You don't, you don't, you don't think that's possible, but it's true. But it's those kind of things. That, and what, you, what happens is you start to realize that's beautiful is that you can do more than you think you can because when you get in over your head, the Holy Spirit works through you. It's, it's awesome. And all those who've been on mission trips, you know, it's, it's beyond us, which is which God working through us, so. Other questions? You got one from that side, John. That's, I know. that's good. Oh, here's okay. one. Okay. Maria's kind of in the middle, so I don't know if that really qualifies. <laughs> <laughs> um, my name's Rita Wolf. Um, I just wanted to tag on to that. Um, my daughter Kaylee was in Thailand with Zoe Children's Home mm-hmm. um, for a year, and, you know, they're having a, a walk in, 
in November. Mm -hmm. You know, so it, it's a great opportunity to help fund um, a rescue children from um, human uh, trafficking. Mm -hmm. And so it, it's a great thing that we're we're involved in. Mm -hmm. And so I think also to find out what other people have a passion for it within mm -hmm. the church mm -hmm. to say, you know, hey, these are great organizations um, to be involved in. A lot of times we just don't know where to go. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's great what John's sharing mm -hmm. about yeah. and um, to reaching out and to see what God is calling us to do. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So. Yeah. Um, there is a lot of opportunities out there for sure. My name is Michael. Um, I was just wondering if you're ever going to separate high school and junior high <laughs> as a ministry. <laughs> because that's, Good question. Yeah. yeah, that's inappropriate. Yeah. Um, but yeah, and if you're looking into youth pastor for either one of those ministries and how does really Compass actually apply to youth ministries, mm -hmm. because there's a large lack for discipleship in general mm -hmm. in terms of leadership mm -hmm. for men to really be involved in those small groups. Mm -hmm. So I'm just wondering how this applies to youth because they are next generation right exactly and yep. very this is a similar question was asked last night as well so and that and that's the process you know that's with with stacy coming on as next gen pastor it's that the bigger approach to um right now with youth ministry with kids it's asking the question how do we most effectively disciple and what you you hit on is is it more effective to have junior high and high school separate probably we're coming to that conclusion obviously but that's those are the questions that we have to answer because we want to, and that's the even even the the age breakdown we had. We were at a conference last week and we were dialoguing about how, you know, you have certain certain areas where you have okay, here's the cutoff for the age group for this ministry, and then you move on up. Well, what's starting to happen because the the culture that we live in and the difference in terms of what kids can handle and what the maturity of kids is is a lot of churches have started to blur the lines between what separates like a middle school and a high schooler, and they've let some bleed either way i mean the, i know some of the even within this in the simi valley school district you know in the fifth or sixth grade you know sixth grade you can stay or you can go you can and, and there's those kind of things realizing that it's not one size fits all in terms of age because age doesn't necessarily define maturity so those are yeah those that's part of the dialogue of how to we're you know basically we're at a place now we don't have to do something that we've always done we can say okay you know what there's a better way there's a more effective way and that's part of the, the dialogue so so this this kind of has a ripple effect through every ministry, including youth and children. How do we most effectively disciple children? So we may see changes, and, and part of the process is discovering how that works. So, And youth ministry definitely is one of those areas. So, Well, John, I'd like to throw a question okay. out, actually. Good, because John Denton was going to ask oh, a good. question. I don't want to hear from him today. Yeah. <laughs> I can so, say that to him. Come on. I love him. I hope he loves me. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Thanks, and if Wally. You don't, that's right. We're and gonna Wally's going to give a you a week to do it. Otherwise, he's going to come talk to you again. <laughs> well, John, my my question is that you've described these significant shifts that we're we're moving through as a church mm -hmm. that are taking place, and um, but you made the statement, and I didn't hear you say this last night, but you said it tonight. You made the statement that you are the definition of Jesus. Mm. No pressure there. 
Yeah, um, yeah that's right. <laughs> just live up to that one. You'll be yeah. good. So as, as we look at some of these shifts to being missional and how we live this out um, as a church, what, how do we walk away with that and say, okay, here's my part in that? What, mm. what, um, what are the shifts, some of the shifts that we need to make individually mm-hmm. in how we approach that, and, and where do we fit in that? Yeah. That's a good question, and, and that we talked a little bit about that last night. And the, this whole thing called discipleship can be this scary proposition of, I mean, really, I have to disciple people? Isn't that what the pastor is supposed to do? Isn't that what the church exists for? Um, but understanding the, the process of being Jesus to other people. Obviously, you, you, are not, you are not Jesus himself, but the Spirit of Jesus lives in us. And so the understanding for people is that to understand who Jesus is, they're going to look at you. They're going to look at your life, and you're going to be their understanding of what it means to to follow Jesus in your life. And so that means the discipleship process is how God works through you in your relationships. And so many times we think, oh, I'm not the evangelist. The evangelist goes and does that. Well, I'm not good at discipleship. Every single one of us has been discipled if you come to know Jesus. And you can think of one, two, three, four, five people that you think, you know what? They were influential in my life. They were discipling you. They were investing in you. They were teaching you. They were modeling to you. That's discipleship. And so for each one of us to realize, I can do what somebody else did for me. I've talked about this before. One of the primary disciples in my life has been my dad. It's been, been the way he has lived out his life, the way he's instructed me, the way to live my life, what I've watched in him, what I've learned from him. He's discipled me. And so I can, I'm, not, I'm not him because I, I would hope to be who, like him someday. But I'll know for sure I want to be able to shape Jordan the way my dad has shaped me. I want to be able to shape other people knowing that I've been discipled. And that was a very natural, relational thing. And so it's realizing that all the relationships that we have, God has given us those for the purpose of discipleship. Which means live out your following Jesus so people can see it. Not as a showboat to say, hey, look at me. But demonstrating this is authentically what it means to live out following Jesus. Which means you show them when you fail. You show them when there's great victories. You show them when you have doubts. Because what our culture is dying for is someone just to be honest, someone to be real, someone to be authentic. They've seen the show. The culture has seen church show and the, the lack of authenticity when they come and everything's just perfect and nothing's real. But when we live life together, and that's why it's so important we talked about simple things like the shift and having garage parties instead of having a harvest party, because your neighbors need to see the way you live your life. They need to get into your life. They need to know what's going on in your life. You need to know what's going on in their lives because there's something real and genuine about someone who says, I follow Jesus, but then they realize that you're not perfect because they're expecting you to be a hypocrite. They're expecting you to say one thing and live another way. But if you can own your own failures and be honest about what it means to follow Jesus, that's discipleship. The disciples saw it for three years with Jesus. They watched him live out what it means to know God. They saw that firsthand. So that's what it means for you and I. And so it's, it's kind of demystifying this thing called evan- or evangelism and discipleship. Like, oh my goodness, I can't do that. It's been done to you. You can do it. <laughs> that's why we're here, because someone is invested in our lives. So it's that process of living out. And if we're able to do that, far more people will be discipled, far more people will come to Jesus than what can happen on a Sunday morning. So, and that's, that's how the early church grew. It's, it grew as people went and relationships and expansion and yeah and it can still happen today so all right so i guess john gets to ask his question right uh-huh. <laughs>
Actually, I almost have more of a challenge than a question. Um, and it's perfect because it's exactly what you guys are talking about mm -hmm. that I was going to say before you guys even started is, mm -hmm. for Michael, mm -hmm. that awesome thing that he just mm -hmm. said, mm -hmm. my, Michael's a great, I think he's a senior, awesome kid who, not to his fault, doesn't want to be hanging out with sixth graders running around biting <laughs> yeah. him on the ankles all night long, <laughs> yeah, right? Exactly. <laughs> now, just as you were speaking earlier about what would happen if we gave 10% and what more mm -hmm. we can do. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I help serve in the youth group, so I'm there with Michael, so I have to deal with the 6th graders and the 12th graders, which is, can be challenging sometimes. <laughs> but not only how much more we could do if we gave 10%, if we had more people step up to serve in the youth ministry, we could probably have separated junior high and high school. Mm -hmm. It's not, I mean, I'm sure there's other things, but the biggest reason is we don't have two teams to do that. Yeah. And you know what? We're talking about discipleship. We're talking about missions. Hey, it could be on a Wednesday night here with junior hires or high schoolers, mm -hmm. and people need to step up Yeah, for yeah, our, and for for children, our yeah. future generation. Yeah. And I think that's the thing that we talked about with Stacy coming on. In fact, this is what we talked about last night as well, is that, you know, it's that question where uh, someone comes and says, what is the church going to do about? What is the church going to do about? It? What's the church going to do about the next generation? It's us in this room. And that's, that is the challenge for all of us. And so if we're serious about, and that's the thing is, we are given a gift in our kids for the first 18 to 20 years of their life. And that is the primary age for discipleship to happen the most effective way. And that's not just mom and dad, but mom and dad take the brunt of the responsibility in discipling their kids. But us as a church is how do we all invest in our kids and our young people? That's got to be one of our primary focuses in, 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 in our church. And so that's not the handful of people that's over in Hopetown on Sunday or the, all the, the, the youth leaders on, on Wednesday nights. It's all of us. Because what, what kids need is they need adults to invest in them. We talked about, someone brought up the question about generations, about people who are older and how the ability they have to invest in those who are younger. And, and we've got some people, we've got Ray and, and Marilyn Hostetler, who I love it because they're, they're older, they're empty nesters, but boy, they're, they're hanging out with kids at Switch every Wednesday night, and they're investing in them. They've lived a lot of years and followed Jesus for a long time, and they have a lot to speak into the lives of kids. And you think, well, I can't do that. Oh, yeah, you can. Yeah, you can. It's sharing the journey that God has had you on that helps you to be able to relate. So it's all of us. It's making that commitment to say, okay, you know, Go back. That's why we have two services. You can serve at one, and you can still come to the service every Sunday. Yeah, it's an extra two hours out of your schedule. It just means it's a little less football on Sunday. I think Jews would be happy with that. So, but yeah, it's on us. How are we going to do that? So, Harold's got a question. Oh boy. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Buckle up. <laughs> How you doing? I have a question. Um, I know we're talking about the move and um, how we're transitioning out of this building. Mm -hmm. Are we required to turn this building back to what it was before we got here? Or how does that work as far as terms of moving and being able to take our stuff with us? Yeah, thanks for feeding me that question. You're welcome. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Harold for president of the United States, everybody. Hey, if Obama can get in, I can get in. That's what I'm talking about. Hey, that's being deleted off the CD as well. So I'm talking about. Oh, boy. All right. So some of you may already be aware of this, but the answer to that question is pretty, pretty important. Uh, obviously, originally in the, the uh, previous versions of the lease in this building, 
one of the requirements was if we were to leave that the building had to re be restored back to its original state when we first moved in two decades ago. Um, estimates were that that would cost about three quarters of a million dollars to do that. So that would mean we'd pay three quarters of a million dollars and then leave and have nothing. So um, you can thank people like Wally and Dan Stewart for negotiating that out of the current lease. So we don't have that. So which makes that's the only reason we can even consider moving is because the only thing financially that we lose is our deposit, which is about $23,000, which I'm sure has been there for quite a number of years compared to three quarters of a million dollars. That's doable. So that gives us the opportunity to be able to go and to not incur a huge amount of debt or be strapped to not be able to do anything else. So, yeah. So we don't, we, in fact, what's beautiful as well, what's written in the lease is anything that we've put into the building since we've been here can go with us. So all of this, everything, not anything we, we can take with us. So um, there was some things in there that about the, anything that was affixed that had to, like, stay here. Like if we put in a video projector, it's mounted, part of the building, it stays. That was in one of the leases, but that got negotiated out as well. So we're at a place, we're a really good place to move. And so that's why we are moving. We're, we're not using this as, as a negotiating tool with Rasmussen. They know we're leaving. We're not, in fact, they haven't come back to us and said, oh, hey, there's this offer. In fact, they, they asked, when can we show the building? Like, I guess you probably want us to leave then, don't you? So, <laughs> so anyway, good question, Harold. Hi, I'm Julie. Um, I just wanted to know where can I sign up for the Wednesday night to work with the kids? Because they would help me as much as I think I could maybe help them. Julie, say that. What was that? A little louder. I said they could probably help me as much as I can help, maybe help them. The, so the, the Wednesday night. She, she, wants, for to young, work, for she wants to work on Wednesday night with the with excellent. youth. Excellent. Okay, so. excellent. So we want to get you connected with Tim and Stacy Hess. So. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, and, yeah. And John's here. Yeah, you can talk. In fact, John, you can talk to Julie and just get her connected with. Yeah. Julie, that would be awesome. That would be wonderful. Okay, John's got another one. Oh, he's going to keep Along the lines of Harold's question, what kind of financial finances do you expect cost-wise mm -hmm. to move? Right. Good. So at this point, you know, I've mentioned uh, thank you for <laughs> – thank you, John. Thank you for saving my, <laughs> That's saving right. my legs. Uh, thank you for your faithful giving in that area. Obviously, right size, the process of right size has to do with us giving sacrificially over and above our tithe. And right now, I think we have a little over $60,000 that's come in, which is great. It's a part of also the forward campaign from about a year or so ago. Um, ballpark estimates are anywhere between one hundred dollars to $250,000. That's the crazy thing about moving to a smaller building. You think, oh, it's not going to cost much money. When you go through the per permit process and the build-out process and everything that goes through, that's, that's the neighborhood. I know I, from what I heard, estimates, when we moved in this building, it was like a million dollars to do the build-out. I think that's what the price tag was. Bob, is that right? I heard I heard about a million dollars for everything by the time we were done with it. Yeah, so so it's costly because you think oh it wouldn't cost that much, but when you realize all the requirements and what has to be done, and part of the the process that we're walking through with the building that we're looking at is that we're asking the owner to obviously take this on, but it's probably going to have to have some earthquake upgrades because we're changing the use of the building from light industrial or R and D to assembly, which when you have people a lot of people in a building, there's more requirements. So um, so that could cost the owner anywhere from fifty to $75,000 to do that. So, so there's a lot of money involved. So that's why we're giving towards that. Um, so we're going to have to spend money to save money in the long run. So good.
Carol, is there any way we can turn the air down? I know we're almost done, but yeah, I, I'm watching people go shatter a little bit like that. And, that. and I usually don't get cold, and I'm getting cold, so. But anyway. So maybe that's why I don't want to ask another question. I'm freezing. I got to get out of here. So. <laughs> All right. Wally? Just to tag on, Wally Wolf, just to tag on to what you were saying, mm-hmm. we're also having to pay for an architect, engineers. Yeah. yeah. Um, we have to have several studies done on the building. Um, we'll probably have to pay for a traffic study. Yeah. We have to pay city permits. We got to pay for a conditional use permit. So there's a lot of things that stack up behind what those costs are. Yeah. So we're not just making them up yeah, or grabbing no. them from the sky. I mean, yeah. it, you, you have to have architects and engineers that understand how the building is going to be used and, yeah. and lay out all those things that are involved in it. So mm-hmm. there, there's a lot of cost behind all yeah. this. Yeah, there so. is. Debbie, over here. Um, I'm Debbie Brooks. Um, Along with that, though, when we actually do move in, Mm -hmm. there'll be lots of stuff that we can do. Mm -hmm. You know, I can't, you know, do some things, but I can paint and I Mm -hmm. can do. And there were a lot of us that spent hours and hours Mm -hmm. down here when we moved in here. And that Mm -hmm. saves thousands of dollars in labor costs. Mm -hmm. And plus, it's really a cool thing. Mm -hmm. That's part of building us as a fellowship, getting to know someone else that you're standing next to working with. Absolutely, yeah. Hi, Esther Springer. Um, I was wondering, as far as moving into the new building, if you guys were considering anything of a kitchen facility. <laughs> I, I just think the biggest loss here, I don't know if that's a coding yeah. thing for an industrial yeah. building. But yeah. I, I grew up in a, a Baptist um, community, and one of the things that just really was conducive to fellowship and mm-hmm. everything was after church on a Sunday, I, the, the, I, all I remember as a child is having lots of mm-hmm. um, meals after a Sunday mm-hmm. and just really bringing people in and yeah. gathering them. Fellowship. Yeah. <laughs> Tamales. <laughs> Harold likes that one. Yeah, he likes the kitchen oh, idea. Yeah, that's right. No, you know, I, I would love to say that we could do a kitchen, but there are some requirements that could limit us from doing that. Part of it is where we're going in. Part of it is when you put in, you know, the big thing is is when you put in an oven in an industrial building that has to be vented properly, there's all kind of requirements that go with that. So it could cost a lot of money to do that. Not saying we won't do that. The current building we're looking at has a similar kind of kitchen like we have, which basically means a sink. You know, that's that's the extent of it. Um, We're trying to keep the cost as low as possible. Um, So that's something we could entertain, but if that's something that's going to be too costly, then we would have to eliminate that. And I wish I wish we could do that. And if, if we don't do that, then we just stick with everybody bring food. If we're going to do something like that, you know, we don't we can't necessarily cook it on site. Um, but, yeah, I wish we could. But that's part of the limitations of an industrial building. If we're building our own building, that's a no-brainer. We, we'd build that one in for sure. But it's, it's limitations that we have. But So we're all coming over to your house. Yeah, yeah, that's right. <laughs> All right, any other questions? All right. Good. Well, let me let me pray and we'll be concluded in those couple of things of instruction I'll let you know as as we conclude. So, but let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for being here tonight walking us through this process. Lord, I thank you for uh, 
Lord, I know for me and for my family, being allowed to be a part of this awesome group of people, it's just that this journey you have us on together, I'm so excited. Lord, because we know it's bigger than us. It's bigger than a building. It's bigger, Lord, than um, just even the church. It's about glorifying you and about helping people being reconciled back to you. And so, Lord, I pray that you would bring uh, just the, the power of your spirit on each one of us to be people who are about discipling other people who ultimately want to bring glory to you. So, Lord, give us your favor in the building process. Give us your guidance, your wisdom, your insight, Lord, in how to best disciple people in our lives and as a church family so that ultimately, Lord, the the result will be because of these gatherings, because of our commitment to what you're doing, that there will be people standing around that throne someday worshiping you because of our commitment to make disciples, Lord, in your name. Amen. Amen. So just a couple things uh, as we conclude. Back at the the table back there, Lauren's back there. Everybody wave to Lauren. So two things. If you did not get a chance to uh, to get a Connect card and fill it out and get a picture taken on the last couple Sundays, you can do that tonight. And just so you know, side note on that. It's really important. I know that, like John's talked about a couple weeks ago in Herald on Sunday, that, again, we're not putting your pictures out on the Internet, but it is so important to have a picture that goes with the name because there's been, a, even in the eight months that I've been here, there's been so much transition. Even people who've been here for, like, 20 years, they're saying, I, I don't know these faces, especially for people in leadership, if you're coordinating ministries, and to get to know people, it's really important to have a photo to go with that. So trust me, it's not going anywhere else than just the database that we access. So make sure you do that as well. Even if you think we have accurate email and phone and address, please fill it out because so many times things change and you don't realize you haven't told the church and so we can't communicate effectively. So you can do that. Last thing is also a book that's really pivotal in shaping the overall conversation that we're walking through because the church council, elders, and small group leaders have all been a part of a dialogue that's been shaped by a book called Radical Together. I've mentioned it. And it's a great book. It's only six chapters. It's really short. Um, it's written by David Platt, and it gives a great framework for what we're talking about because this isn't something God's just doing at New Hope. God's doing this at, in his church really around the world. When you read through the book, we're not trying to be Brook Hills Church in Birmingham, Alabama. We're trying to be New Hope Christian Fellowship in Simi Valley, California. But there's some things that David says that are challenging for us at church that are important for us to read. So it's $5. It's worth your 5 bucks. Even if you don't read, you can take a year to read it do it. It's worth the time. So you can get that. Susie's got those books back there and you can grab those. So, all right, we're good to go. God bless you. Thanks for being here tonight.